Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby and joining me via phone is Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, it is the bye week, of course. Uh, no game on Sunday. We get to kind of uh, in, enjoy a rare weekend here, so that's always good. And uh, before we get into this, we're going to talk all kinds of coaching search stuff here today. But before I get into it, uh, I want to shout out Sibling Revelry Brewing, who has been a sponsor for us here for a few months, uh, really most of this season. And I want to let everybody know that we'll be having an event uh, at their uh, tap room in Westlake. Um, It's going to be December 17th, which is the Monday after the Broncos game. That's a Saturday game. So the Monday after that game, we're going to have an event. An event at Sibling Revelry. We're going to do sort of a live podcast sort of deal there. So um, there's room for about... Oh, I don't know, maybe between 150, 200 people. So we're going to have a post up on uh, cleveland.com slash Browns. And of course, in, in all of our podcast posts, posts going forward. So people can RSVP to that and come talk Browns with us as uh, this coaching search will still be ongoing then. So there will, of course, be plenty to talk about. So let's get right to it, Mary Kay. Uh, we talked to John Dorsey earlier this week. Um, he didn't he didn't really tip his hand much as far as the coaching search goes. Um, but the thing that he did make clear was he's going to talk to everybody. That's really what it sounds like. He's going to cast a wide net in this search. Oh, absolutely. 100%. And I, I think that's great. I think that's what they need to do. Uh, I think that you need to find, and I like what he's looking for. I think you need to find the kind of person that you want uh, to be leading your football team and then you kind of go from there because you can get the pieces and parts around him in terms of coordinators and different coaches. I mean, how many times have we seen, uh, you know, it, it doesn't happen super often, but, you know, you take a special teams coordinator like a, a John Harbaugh and they go on to win a Super Bowl. So I do think that when he talks about, you know, quality control coaches, assistant coaches, college coaches, women, female coaches, you know, I, I really think he's saying we will leave no stone unturned in this search. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's interesting, the whole uh, – obviously everyone's talking about, well, the Browns need to hire an offensive-minded head coach. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, thinking Lincoln Riley. Uh, Matt Campbell is has an offensive background, of course. John Filippo's name has been out there. Josh McDaniels is the offensive coordinator in New England. Everybody kind of wants an offensive-minded head coach. Uh, but, I mean, there could be a chance that maybe you hire a guy like a, a John Harbaugh or, or someone like that who maybe doesn't have that background. I should mention Eric Bieniemy as well. 
um, as far as offensive guys go. Maybe you hire a guy who doesn't fit that mold, and then you give him a really good offensive coordinator. I mean, that could be a route as well. Yeah, there are so many different ways to go about this. I mean, even when you look back at Baker Mayfield's experience when he was at Oklahoma, his first two years there when he was wildly successful, he had Lincoln Riley as his offensive coordinator and Bob Stoops as his head coach. So something like that could even happen here, where you have an overseer that is great at organizing the whole thing, and then you have somebody that works really closely with Baker Mayfield and the offense and calls the plays. So there's many, many different ways that you can go about this. But I think the key, the key to the whole thing is having someone on the staff that John Dorsey feels very, very comfortable working with on a daily basis, really likes this person as a human being. And he really talked about, you know, the whole character piece and all of that. But it's, it's more than that. It has to be a fit. It has to be a personality fit with him and this person. And, uh, and I think that two very key players in all of this as well are Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith. Those are his two trusted advisors. And I think they will and should have a big say in this. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's a big piece of this. He didn't want to really want to get into details as to who was in his little inner circle or, or whatever, you know, his, his leadership team, whatever he called it. Um, but, but those are two guys that he brought on um, to help build the roster, but now, you know, it's about finding the right coach. They both have that green Bay background. And and that's why I do think, you know, look, you look at the backgrounds of these guys, it's always been an offensive minded coach, Mike McCarthy, you know, John Dorsey didn't pick Andy Reed, but he worked with Andy Reed. Um, it, it has always been an offensive minded coach. That's of course the way the league is going with Sean McVay and all of these guys. Um, so you would tend to lean that way just, just because of that background, I would think. Yeah, I, I would think so. That That's where my mind is going in terms of uh, what my instincts say will happen. But I do think that they will be open-minded about this. And we've heard of, uh, you know, Dave Taub, who is an, uh, the special teams coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, he sort of fits that bill, too, of someone that might not have the offensive background but has everything else, perhaps, that John Dorsey would be looking for. And then you bring in someone uh, who can be that sort of offensive wizard and call the plays and whatnot. So there's plenty of different ways to attack this thing. And uh, as John Dorsey said, you know, he just, he can't, he doesn't want to screw it up. And, and I, you know, I really don't think that he will. I think that he'll get it right. And as he goes through and gets more power in this organization, that's why I think it's important that Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith are going to be vital in this search because as John Dorsey uh, gets more power and Jimmy Haslam turns more things over to him like he did this coaching search, you know, those guys, the roles of Elliot and Alonzo might change. I mean, they might uh, have different titles and roles as they go along here as, as John Dorsey shapes this front office and gets it exactly the way he wants it. So I think that's why he's not saying who's on his senior management team right now because, uh, you know, I'm sure that you know, it might not be exactly who everybody thinks it, it is on there. Yeah, that, that that's true. And, you know, Elliot Wolf is the interesting one to me, too, because his name has always kind of come up when these GM searches start. And, you know, it's come up here in Cleveland a few times before he finally ended up here under Dorsey. Um, and, and he's a guy that if this team has success, his name's going to keep getting thrown out there as a potential next guy up as, as GM. You know, maybe John Dorsey – 
And, and Jimmy Haslam do a little reconfiguring over the next couple of years to try and make sure that, that he stays here if, if Dorsey really likes having him in the fold. Yeah, exactly. I mean, who knows how this goes? I mean, John Dorsey could take on more of a role of the overseer type president role or something. And then Elliot becomes GM and Alonzo becomes assistant GM. So these are things to watch as we go down the road. I don't see that happening you know, right away this year yet. Uh, but, you know, that is something I would think to keep in mind, again, as they continue to have drafts like they did this year and add pieces to the team like they have. And, and those are the sorts of things, too, that if you get this coaching search right, that if you finally get that guy in place, um, it, it was something I wrote about the other day is how things are, are sort of aligning right now or they could be aligning. Um, you know, there's still some things that, that need to be worked out. But if you get that coach in place, now all of a sudden you you can – tinker around with the structure of that front office a little bit. You've got some stability. You, you've got an opportunity to kind of look at things and say, you know, maybe this would work better with this slight tweak here or this guy here or, or something like that. It just gives you more freedom to not just get your head coach in place, but now you kind of fix the organizational structure, which we know has been a big issue with this team. Right. And it's what really that Jimmy Haslam and D Haslam have been looking for ever since they first agreed to purchase the team in 2012, and that is to try to find that right combination, uh, to try to come up with uh, the right combo of GM, head coach, that can all work together, and they have really struggled with this. This has been a very, very difficult thing. It's, it's hard to walk into the NFL, walk into ownership, and all of, a sudden, all of a sudden get that right, and you think you're getting advice from the right people, and you think you're doing the right things, and and you know, lo and behold, you find that uh, you know that it's not working out at all, and it really hasn't worked out at all for them. So not only does John Dorsey need to not screw this up, but the Haslam need to not screw this up. This needs to be this needs to be the first time that they are really going to be getting the GM head coach thing correct, and they all have to nail it. Now, so what happens if they don't? Well, they can cross that bridge, you know, when they come to it. I don't think it, you know, I don't think it has to set you back 22 years if, if you know, if it doesn't work out exactly the way that you would want it to. But obviously, you don't want to be firing another coach again in two years. I mean, Dan, we're embarking on our biannual uh, coaching search again here. And, you know, it just <laughs> does get old after a while. But, um, I mean, really, wrap your brain around that. The last five coaches have lasted two and a half years or less. I mean, yeah. it, it, isn't that mind-boggling when you think about that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you, you go back and, and, I mean, just going back to Chudzinski, which wasn't that long ago. Um, he, he had a year. And then Mike Pettin had two years. And then Hugh Jackson got a little over two years. Um, and then, you know, you can go obviously before that, uh, really going back to Romeo. I think Romeo got four years, and that seems like an eternity now that, that he got that long. Right, absolutely. And then you look at, you know, stable organizations, and they just don't do this sort of thing. You just look from where Jimmy Haslam came from in Pittsburgh, and they have had, what, how many coaches? Three head coaches or something like that in the last 50 years or something like that. I mean, it's just uh, insane uh, what the Browns have done at that head coaching position and how wrong it has, has gone. And, you know, they really do have to get it right this time. Again, you know, I, I don't want to say, oh, you know, it's, it's going to be the end of the world if, if John Dorsey's first pick, because this is his first pick as a head coach. 
you know, it's not going to be the end of the world, but you have to make sure uh, that you're not going to be setting your team back light years again uh, if you have to, you know, blow this thing up again in, in three or four years. Yeah, and, and I think that's, I, I, you know, maybe they can, then you, you know, you can find some hope in this in that if he does hire somebody who comes in and it just doesn't work for whatever reason, you know, whether it's a college guy, coordinator, if it doesn't work, as long as John Dorsey continues to draft well and, and the front office continues to function competently and you're adding talent to the team, it is possible you could get this coaching hire wrong and, and have to redo it again in two to three years and you'll be okay. It's not ideal, obviously, because you'd like to start winning here really probably beginning next year because you got your quarterback, you got him on a rookie deal that this is kind of the window of opportunity to go out and spend a bunch of money and try and build a, a team around him to try and start winning soon. You don't want to set yourself back like that, but there is a scenario where you can get this wrong, even though it's not ideal and, and still kind of come out okay in the end. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I was exactly getting at Dan. Uh, the fact that if you have everything else going in the right direction, Sometimes you do make a mistake. I mean, look, even even with Josh McDaniels when, when he went to Denver, I think there was every reason for everyone to believe that that was just going to be a home run. And sometimes it doesn't turn out to be a home run. Even the best laid plans can go awry. It's not easy to land that next guy. It, it's really not. And I think a lot of times you that, that people want to come up with their own guy. You want to find your own next Sean McVay. Well, you know, those kind of guys don't grow on trees and it's hard to find those guys. But I think there, even in this case, there might be a tendency for them to want to find that guy and to, you know, to sort of nail it and be creative and original and, and come up with that guy. And, and you're right. If it doesn't work out, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the end of the world as long as you have everything else going in the right direction. And then you can just kind of plug that person in and, you know, without, blowing up, you know, both sides of the ball and, and whatnot. If you know the scheme that you want and the kind of person that you want uh, to take charge of, of the whole team, uh, it doesn't have to be catastrophic. That being said, uh, I'm, I'm with John Dorsey. Don't, don't screw this up. <laughs> this is, this right. is your, exactly. this is your opportunity to, to really, to really get something going in the right direction. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, you were mentioning some, I mean, let's go all the way back to when the Browns hired Butch Davis, right? I mean, that was a home run hire. I mean, Browns fans right. remember that, and he actually got that team to the playoffs and it ended up not working. So sometimes right. these home run hires don't work, and Sean McVay is a guy that, that actually kind of came out of nowhere to, to get that head coaching job. Yeah, some of it is luck. I mean, I think you really have to uh, go by all of those things that, uh, that John Dorsey is saying that he wants to find, but I've heard other guys say those kinds of things too. I, I have heard other people uh, – Joe Banner talked about some of those things back when he was trying to find a head coach, you know, and even if you can plug in, you know, leader of men, these are the things that we're talking about, uh, leader of men, high football character. And, uh, what's the other one? <laughs> I'm forgetting the third one is because I've been to Boston. Since, uh, football acumen, yeah, this, right? Did you say football, high acumen? football acumen, leader of men and a man of character. There we go. Man of character. Man or woman of character, we should say, and we're going to cover that topic too in this podcast. But, um, but yeah, if you find even if you find all of those things, sometimes for one reason or another, 
it just doesn't all come together the way that you hope. So you have to have a little bit of luck. You have to have a little bit of luck. Um, but what an exciting thing. I'm sure that John Dorsey has been thinking about this for years and years and years. He's never had an opportunity to hire a head coach before. And I know just by, because I sat in his office and talked to him for about, I don't know how long it was, maybe about 45 minutes before the season started. And he actually showed me on his computer. And I didn't get a chance to read uh, some of these 25 pages, but it was the 31 core competencies of building a sustainable winning franchise. And he just knew that he has lists upon lists of guys uh, that he has thought of that would fit the bill to coach a football team for him. And Ron Wolf used to do that. Ron Wolf used to have lists of guys too. So you know that John, in all of his 26, I guess now 27 years in the NFL, has collected quite a, a list of people that he thinks can do this job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that um, we, we've, we've gotten a chance to kind of learn a little bit about John Dorsey. And, and one of the things everybody should go back and read um, Scott Patsko's story on the, the five people in John Dorsey's life that he's found four of them. And he's still waiting on the fifth. Um, and, and he outlines like four of those people. And, and it's really good. It kind of shows you what makes him tick. And then you throw in that story that, that you just told and, and his approach to uh, personnel and, and finding people. It's, it's really fascinating. And, and I think this coaching search is going to reflect a lot of the things that uh, for, from what you just said and also what Scott wrote the other day. Yeah, excellent, excellent story by Scott. He's been trying to get that um, nailed down for, for all of the readers for, for a long time. And he worked really, really hard on that. So please do get a chance if you get a chance to uh, – read it and, you know, just take the time to do that because you will definitely enjoy that and get some more insight into John Dorsey, who, I mean, he can be a character. He's, you know, he's funny. He's, you know, funny to listen to. We've all seen, you know, the, the John Dorsey uniform and, you know, he's got his, uh, he, he's a classic. I mean, he is a classic, uh, one of those just old school NFL character type of guys that, you know, he's just got an unforgettable personality you know with the chemo sabis and the buddy boys and all that so uh you know he just you know he really has bought, brought his own uh brand and stamp to the cleveland browns yeah um he, he is you know he is that mix of that kind of old school football guy but he's also you know as, as you really learn about him and, and read up on him and see the things he has to say he, he's a very forward thinking uh football mind too which is why he's going to cast a wide net and why when he said the other day uh, that he would interview anyone, including perhaps a woman, you know, initially it was kind of like, oh, okay, you know, that's funny. But then you started to think about it, like, you know, maybe he would, maybe, you know, I, I don't know that there's anyone out there that is ready to take that jump to the head coach position, but, you know, you interview someone and, and maybe I think there's three or four women currently in the NFL right now. Uh, you interview one of them, one of them works for Kyle Shanahan. Maybe she shows you she could be a coordinator or a position coach or, or something like that and start that climb up the ladder. Exactly. And and you're talking about Katie Sauer. Yes, and I've that's been hearing, who it is. I've been hearing about Katie for years and years because I know some people uh, that know her really well and just think the absolute, absolute world of Katie Sowers. And I I bet you if if they go ahead and interview Katie that that John Dorsey is probably going to end up wanting to hire her for something because she's that impressive. So I, I really do think that uh, I hope he does it. I, I think it would be amazing. I mean, you know, the NFL right now is trying to, you know, to 
to give women more opportunities in this league at, at high levels. And I really do think, and I think it's necessary too. How many times do I say to all you guys, I was I, you know, <laughs> joking around, I'll be like, you know, if there were a woman running this place, you know, it would be uh, more organized or whatever, just kind of kidding around about that sort of stuff. But, um, but the truth of the matter is, I do think that, um, you know, that, more women are needed at some of the higher levels of organizations in front offices, coaching staffs and, and wherever else. And I really do believe that if he brings uh, Katie Sowers in here for an interview or any, any of the other women coaches in the NFL right now, that um, I think it will be good for everyone. And I think it will open uh, some people's eyes to some things. And I think he will find some people that are extremely, extremely qualified uh, to be coaches in the NFL and, you know, maybe a head coach right now. I, I don't know about that, uh, but at least, some, you know, some people that he's going to be very happy that he interviewed. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I pulled up uh, an article about her just now and, and, and you, you look through some of the things. Um, yeah, obviously Kyle Shanahan, right? So that's a, uh, that's a guy that if somebody works under Kyle Shanahan, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that's somebody you would want to look at, right? And then yep. there's also that she played quarterback for the Kansas City Titans in the Women's Football Alliance. Obviously, that's not yep. the NFL, but I mean, how many times do we look at guys and say, "Oh, you know, that that guy played quarterback at this level or that level?" I mean, there's there, there's some things you can check off there as as you look at her, and and you know, I think she's 31, um, so still very young, still kind of working her way up. But um, you know, I mean, this is how you find people. Yeah, who knows? Maybe she's the female Sean McVay. You never know, right? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Uh, you know, when, when you when you think about, um, you know, people that have played quarterback before, when we talk about Freddie Kitchens right now, one of the reasons why even John Dorsey brought this up the other day, that he can see Baker Mayfield through the lens of the quarterback's eyes because he played the position. So when you're talking about an offensive assistant in the NFL that has played the position, well, I'm just telling you right now, that, goes a, that would go a long way uh, toward, towards developing some credibility with uh, the people that she's coaching. And I'm sure that's why she's very successful in San Francisco. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, I, I'm not going to rule out anything with John Dorsey. I don't think anyone should because he is certainly someone who's not afraid to, um, to defy convention um, as we've seen uh, a couple other names uh, before we drag on too long here that I, that I want to throw out there because, you know, look, we all know that the main name, right? Lincoln Riley, Matt Campbell, these are names you're going to hear ad nauseum, but, but there's a couple guys here and there that you're also going to hear over and over again. I, I just kind of wonder if you think they're realistic options. And let's just start with this one. Another local guy, um, local ties. Josh McDaniel's name has come up. I, I think that's a very complicated name to bring up because of what happened with Indianapolis. We know his history in Denver. Um, but, but he is a guy with local ties. Um, I, you know, I almost think you have to, if he'd be interested, consider him because of what he's been able to do in New England and the way he's been able to reinvent that offense over and over and over again. Um, yeah, I just wonder if you, if you consider him a realistic option here. Well, obviously, because of his credentials and what he has accomplished in the NFL, I consider him to be a realistic option. But there are just a couple of things that uh, that have to make me wonder if he will be a serious candidate uh, for John Dorsey, and that is uh, in large part because of what happened with the Indianapolis Colts when he, uh, you know, when he basically, you know, took the job and then untook the job 
And John Dorsey is very close to Chris Ballard, uh, the GM of the Colts, who, you know, who that happened to. And they worked together in Kansas City. And, um, and you know, so I just, I just have to wonder if, if that wouldn't give him some pause. Now, maybe not. Maybe, maybe that situation is an isolated situation. And John Dorsey, you know, will not hold that against him. But, I mean, when it comes to doing your due diligence, that obviously is going to be part of it. I mean, he will be on the phone, you know, with Chris Ballard trying to figure out exactly what happened and why it happened and how it went down. Um, then the other thing that, you know, that you kind of have to wonder about, he's, he's had opportunities to come here before, to come back home and interview with the Cleveland Browns, and he really hasn't done it before. And now, kind of who can blame him, right? <laughs> who can blame him? Because this job has not been a stable job until now. Anybody that took this job before this time around was taking a big, huge risk. So I don't really blame him for that before. He's certainly not the only one who shied away from this job. But, um, but yeah, so that, that's another thing that I, you know, that kind of makes me wonder, you know, that he didn't uh, jump at the chance to interview for this job in the past. Will that be a little bit of a strike against him or will John Dorsey understand that this was just uh, not a place for, for someone to come at least for their second chance in the NFL, which sometimes it's the only other chance that you get uh, when there was no job security. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is if he really loves Baker Mayfield, and I, I think there's going to be guys out there that, that look at this job and really love Baker Mayfield, that, that's going to be a draw. There are going to be guys out there that say, I want to coach Baker Mayfield. I can build an offense around him. Maybe Josh McDaniels is one of those guys. And, and we don't know what happened in Indianapolis. Like you said, uh, Chris Ballard came up under John Dorsey, uh, has had nothing but praise for him. I, I got a chance to ask him about John Dorsey at the Combine last year and, and just said great things about him um so I you know I, I think that's a wrinkle and I, and I think that's something that that would come up but you know if he looks at this job and says that he can work work with Baker Mayfield and, and John Dorsey decides he's the best guy I, maybe that is the way to go I, I don't know I, I I think what happened in Indianapolis is going to follow him around a lot so I, I don't know how likely yeah. it is but but I think he'd like you'd have to do your due diligence on him yeah I mean he's somebody that obviously if you're looking at a head coach uh, right now and you have a vacancy, his name is going to be on the radar one way or the other. It will be for pretty much almost everyone. And it's going to, uh, it's just going to be a matter of the comfort level that, that John would have with some of those issues. And of course he'll, uh, you know, look back to his time as the head coach of the Denver Broncos and, and all of that. And then, you know, you have to factor in so many other things like, you know, our, our coaches, what they are in part because of Tom Brady, uh, in part because of Bill Belichick, or, or can they stand on their own merits and be really super successful coaches in the NFL? So those will be all things to consider. But, you know, you brought up an important point. This is an attractive job because of Baker Mayfield. I think Baker has demonstrated already that, that he has the potential to be a really, really good franchise quarterback in this league. And that will be attractive to a lot of people. I've talked to coaches in the NFL that loved Baker Mayfield in the, in the run-up to the draft, just loved him. And I know there are a lot of coaches that would jump at the chance to coach this young man. Yeah, and that's what makes this time different, too. Uh, I, this isn't a situation where you're bringing in a head coach with the charge to find the quarterback, you know, or with a, coming in with a completely new regime or anything like that. You have so much in place already. You know, we always talk about – we used to always talk about with the quarterback – 
you know, well, build that team around him and then just drop him in and, and he'll be able to run the offense. Well, this is sort of the situation you've created. You've, there's a roster here. There's a quarterback in place. If you find the right coach, you can drop that guy in and he can start winning some football games pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it kind of goes, um, kind of goes both ways too, because when you think about it, uh, when you look back to the offensive coordinator search this past off season and Hugh Jackson was looking for, uh, for his offensive coordinator, one of the reasons I'm sure that Ben McAdoo was not considered for that job is he was very vocal about the fact that he did not like Baker Mayfield. So any coaching candidate that comes in here has either got to really love Baker Mayfield or pretend that he does and find a way to fall in love with Baker Mayfield because that really is job number one for this coaching search is uh, to find someone uh, you know who can who can coach him up. They expect him to be. Uh, the quarterback of this football team for the next decade or hopefully for them even longer. And, uh, you know, and they want to find someone, uh, you know, who can handle and maximize his talents and abilities. Yeah. And, and again, like I mentioned, this is such a, what we've really learned in the NFL is these good quarterbacks on rookie deals are so, you can do so much when, when you have that because you're not paying this guy a hundred million dollars. You've got some opportunities to spend, around that player spend on the defensive side of the ball. We've seen how the Rams have gone after it uh, with, with Jared Goff on his rookie deal, all the money they've spent. Um, there's some real opportunity to turn this thing around quickly. Um, all right. So we didn't get into too many specifics. Uh, again, we're, we're going to have a chance to really talk about these guys over the next you know five or six weeks uh, a lot. Uh, but I did want to bring up the Josh Daniels thing and, and kind of get into the job itself and, and what John Dorsey had to say. Um, one last thing before we go, Mary Kay, over these last six games of the season, um, so, some pretty good games, actually. They've got Denver, so, you know, some good defenses. They've got Denver, they've got Houston, they've got a game against Baltimore, two against Cincinnati, the Panthers come to town. Um, obviously, we're going to watch the development of Baker Mayfield. Is there anything else you're, you're really kind of watching for with this team over these last six weeks? Well, you know, I, I really do think that uh, just offensively, you have to look at the receiving core right now, and you have to determine what you have in place. And do you really feel like you're going to be able to count on a number of these guys? What do you think the upside potential is for an Antonio Callaway? You know, how how much more, how much better is David Njoku going to get? I mean, I right now, I, I really like some of the things I'm seeing in David Njoku. I think he... Uh, needs a little bit of consistency, but he's making the tough catch when he's covered. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, if they can get Antonio Callaway uh, to get some consistency and to be, uh, you know, to really mature and grow up a little bit in this league and have a whole offseason, another offseason under his belt where he is in a good, solid football program with some structure around him, you know, maybe he can turn into a little bit more than what we've seen so far from him. I think you need to look at the left tackle position. You really need to look at that. I mean, right now, they like Greg Robinson there, but that's in part uh, because Desmond Harrison was struggling. It was a little bit too much for him. He has the raw athletic ability, but they're not entirely certain yet if he's going to be able to cut it in the NFL and be that premier left tackle that they need him to be. Now, can Greg Robinson do that? He's only 25 years old himself. You know, maybe he can turn into something here. Uh, so these are some of the things to uh, to look out for over the next six weeks. Yeah, I, I think those are all those are all good. I mean, 
you know, per, for me, uh, I kind of just want to see, even though it doesn't, even though, you know, Greg Williams, I, I don't believe is a, is a real candidate for this job. I, I don't think the wins and losses matter as much. I want to see this team win some of these games here in December. I want to see them. I would love to see this team go to Denver on a Saturday night and, and win that game against a Denver team. That's okay, but not great. Um, you know, maybe beat Cincinnati one of these two games. You know, I just like to see them, you know, just win some of these games over the last six. You end up with maybe five, maybe six wins, depending on how things go. I think that's really important for this team, especially if it's behind Baker Mayfield making plays to help them win games. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. And, you know, when you look at the situation, if they are using the personnel the way that they have been using it, and they will continue to do that, of course, uh, relying heavily on Nick Chubb, uh, using Duke Johnson more, getting the ball into the hands of their playmakers. Uh, they still need, there's certain games where, where Baker and Jarvis, you know, they still don't completely connect or click, but if they, if they can get that going a little bit more, uh, even Brashard Perriman is someone who uh, at least he can stretch the field and you have to think about him. Now, of course, he has to be more consistent catching the ball. They have to be more consistent with just the, the rhythm between, you know, Baker and Brashard there, but um, it's at least it gives the defense something to think about uh, back there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think they can actually win some of these games, especially. I mean, you look at that Cincinnati defense, and it is so bad. You know, I, I wonder what's going to happen on Sunday when they play the Ravens. But, my goodness, they have given up 500 yards in each of the last three games. They obviously fired their defensive coordinator. They brought in Hugh Jackson. He will be helping out on defense. And, of course, you know he's, he will provide a very thorough scouting report of the Cleveland Browns, so they're going to have to really change it up. More wishbone, perhaps. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and they're going to have to maybe even come up with another uh, new wrinkle that, that Hugh isn't going to be all ready for. But, you know, that defense is, is very bad. And, if you, you know, if the Browns' defense plays up to its capabilities and then you can go against a really poor defense like that, they, you know, they could win both of those games. So uh, very interesting to see how this is going to play out. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the Browns obviously gave the fans a lot to, uh, to be excited about. This is the first bye week in a while that, that I can remember fans being excited for, you know, kind of being upset that, that it's a bye week um, and, and the Browns aren't playing on Sunday. Um, we will take advantage of it, though. We're going to have the, uh, the rare weekend off here because of the, uh, the late bye in November and then gear up for the final six weeks of the season and the coaching search. And, of course, like I mentioned, on Monday, December 17th, we're going to have a live event. Um, at Sibling Revelry Brewing. Uh, I'm going to put that event information uh, on uh, cleveland.com slash browns and also in the, the post we have there for this podcast. I'll put this information there. It's going to be kind of a live uh, podcast for everybody to come and, and talk browns, talk football with you and me, and uh, it, it should be a lot of fun. So um, mark your calendars for that day, and uh, that'll be it for us for, uh, for this week. We wanted to get one of these in for the weekend. Uh, so you guys would have something to listen to coming out of the week when the Browns return next week. And that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. For Mary Kay Cabot, I'm Dan Lobby. Thanks for listening.